have a seed. I began with a prayer of hope by the wonderful saint St. Claude de la Colombière, because we often refer to the cross as our only hope. There's a wonderful hymn that does just that. Uh, unica, spes unica, our only hope, the church sings, is the Holy Cross. Today, I want to talk about death and dying in heaven. You might think, oh great, cheerful. Well, I'd like you to pray, first of all, for the repose of the soul of a dear priest who died recently. I didn't know him as well as some, but he was quite famous, Father Augustine Hoey. And he was very famous for giving missions. And I read in his obituary about some of the missions he gave. And he was a gentle man, a gentleman in every way. But he had a mission talk on death. And for it, he would invite the undertakers locally to bring in a real coffin, put it in front of the congregation, and invite them all to come up and look in. And he wouldn't reveal what was inside. So every member of the congregation came up and looked in, and in the bottom of the coffin he'd put a mirror. <laughs> Remember death. He was actually not a severe man. He was a very sweet-natured man. But he knew the effect of powerful symbols. And of course, death is a traditional theme for missions. Anyway, do pray for the repose of his soul. He died almost 102 years old. We say in our mission prayer that we would like, we ask that we may be prepared for death and look forward to heaven. It is very much a traditional part of missions to look at what we call the four last things, death, judgment, heaven and hell. And uh, I'm slightly adapting it because we have mentioned some of these things in other talks, particularly yesterday, the excellent talk on confession and sin and the reality of hell. I want to focus today on dying and living on death as the entry into eternal life. It's not morbid at all for Catholics uh, to think of death. It's not morbid to discuss it, especially in Lent, Advent, penitential seasons and on missions, because the whole point is that our meditations will help us to live well here, not become obsessed with death, but become obsessed with life. We might live well here in this life in order to live eternally in heaven. Now, I want to read from scripture from St. Paul to the Philippians, who has something to say about this, and he's not really sure, St. Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, whether he wants to live or die. Now, I like St. Paul, but he does like a bit of a whinge occasionally, have you noticed? Well, this letter is one that he wrote from prison, so I suppose he has every right to whinge Paul goes from wonderful passages of theological beauty and love, and then occasionally he has a whinge, usually at uh, his persecutions, which he lists, and uh, usually at the obstinacy of some of his hearers. He may have planted the seeds, but have they followed the gospel? Well, he's writing from prison to the Christians at Philippi, and he's meditating on his role in prison. Death is a real possibility. This is what he has to say. Yes, he says, I shall rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He does want to work for the people that he preached to, but he also wants to die, he wants to go to heaven, he wants to be with Christ fully. For him to live is Christ, and so it would be better to go to heaven. I think that's the way in which we approach the subject this evening, that surely we do have a role to play in this life. We're not looking forward to death in a kind of morbid way, but we do ultimately want to be with Christ and be with him totally. And we know that we can only be totally united to him in the eternal life. Now, I'm sure all of you will know, most of you will know, the old catechism answer. Why did God make me? God made me to know him and love him and serve him in this life. At least a few, yes. And to live with him happily forever in the next. That's why he made us. We're created in order to live happily with God in eternity. That's what we're made for. That's what the church teaches, and it's wonderful. But we are made to know and love and serve him in this life, that, so that we might live with him happily forever in the next. St Thomas Aquinas, following a long tradition, particularly of Aristotle's thought, sums it up by saying that we all actually are looking for happiness. The goal of all of our life is happiness. In Latin, beatitudo, beatitude. Ultimately, we all are looking for a permanent happiness, knowing that the pleasures of this life do not last. We want something that does last. We keep looking for that eternal beatitude, which is heaven. That's what it is. Our goal is to reach beatitude in heaven, to be with the blessed, blessedness, that joy, that happiness, that lasts. But we know also that we're called by Christ to establish here on earth the kingdom of God. That in this life he wants us to build the kingdom of God and to seek after it. It's opposed to the kingdom of this world, you remember, Christ is always saying. The kingdom of God, we want to build that here. And so it means building a culture of life opposed to a culture of death but only so that we might reach a fulfilment of the kingdom of God in heaven. And for that, we have to pass through the gate of death. But for us, 
the reality of death shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be. It is a bit. But it shouldn't really be because Christ has turned death into a grace. By dying on the cross himself and rising, he's made grace. He's made death into a grace for us. It's the final healing, a homecoming. In fact, it is his death and resurrection that means that there is life after death for us. St. Peter says, we are sure of the end of our faith, that is the goal to which our faith looks forward to, the salvation of our souls. The salvation of our souls. I'm going to pause there a minute to talk a little bit about our reality, because this is important. We say in the Creed that we believe in the communion of saints, that there's a communion between us and those who are beyond death, those who have died already. We believe that there's a communion linking us all in Christ, the communion of saints. That involves you and me. And it's good to think of the communion of saints, let's call it the church, as uniting earth and heaven. And we have those three distinctions. We don't often talk about them, but they're very useful. They're still very useful. There's the church in heaven, the saints in heaven, the church triumphant, already there in the bliss of heaven. They've passed through the gates of death and by the merits of Christ's death, they're in heaven, the church triumphant. There are the holy souls on their way, very nearly there, the souls in purgatory, we pray for them, the church suffering, the church being scrubbed up for heaven, just as we would want to be scrubbed up if we were going to visit Buckingham Palace for the day. But this isn't Buckingham Palace for the day. This is eternity with the King of Heaven. They're united to us too, and they're united with the saints in heaven in the communion of saints, the church suffering. What about us here on earth? The church militant. The church in the middle of a battle. A battle against sin and evil inclinations. A battle we sometimes seem to win and sometimes seem to lose, but we battle on nonetheless with all the angels and saints to help us. And we're united with them through their prayers, which we ask of them, and they also ask God for us. We know that this communion exists, but let's think about it as a reality. We shouldn't worry about death, that passage up to the next level of the church, the militant through the suffering to the triumphant. We're very much connected. We talk to each other, that's what prayer is. People even talk to their loved ones that they've died. And I always say it's quite good that they do. Because to talk to God, to the saints, to those we cannot see but know spiritually to be alive, is prayer. (coughs) A communion of saints that links us all. The important point I want to make is principally that we are saved as members of the church. The church is important, you know. A lot of people say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I was raised a Catholic, very spiritual person, but I don't go to church, I don't go to Mass, and I don't feel I need to, really. Well, we do need the church, because it's our membership of the communion of saints, and we're members of the church militant, and that's what we do, and hopefully one day we'll be members of the church triumphant, still there, The family of God united in heaven, just as it is here on earth, just as we are here tonight, united 
as members of the communion of saints here on earth. So it is right that we are saved through the church. We are only saved through the church. But of course, dying is a little bit scary and people are afraid of it. And we are often fearful of what it might be. It's the great unknown. Particularly fearful, of course, is the possibility of suffering before we die of an agony. Which of us hasn't prayed at some point, Lord, when I die, make it quick. You don't want to die tragically, of course. That would be awful for your friends and family. But which of us, having seen relatives have friends with long, prolonged illnesses, wouldn't pray for a speedier death? We often fear, in fact, what comes with death, not necessarily the moment of passing itself into eternal life, but whatever suffering might be involved with it. Suffering, Fulton Sheen said, is God's megaphone. We know that when we suffer, our bodies rebel against it. Our whole bodies and souls rebel against it. We don't like it. And we never pray as hard as when we're in pain. It's good to remember that. It's good to remember that. Because if we're praying hard when we really want to be rid of something, like pain and suffering, then God is honoured by that deep concern and prayer. Suffering is his megaphone. Do you trust me now? I do love you, I'm here. Abandon yourself to me. I want to draw you to myself. And oddly, with kicking and screaming, we are drawn to him. But that's hard to accept. That's hard. It's as if throughout our life, God is drawing us to himself, tugging on the thread, pulling us closer towards himself. And those moments of suffering are just that. Whenever we suffer a trauma of any kind, physical or mental, it's a tug on the thread, pulling us closer to God. Sometimes we tug in the opposite direction. But all of those things are tugs towards him. Death is just the final tug. Ah, gotcha. And we fall into the arms of Almighty God. The final tug on that thread is that through the door of death, finally drawn us completely to himself. That's what he wanted when we were first conceived, to be drawn entirely to him. So in a way, our embracing of suffering, difficult though that sounds, ought to be a positive thing because we ought to want to be with Christ, like St Paul. Actually, to die is gain. I can be with Christ and really have life. It takes a certain heroism to do that. I had a good friend, Alison, and when I was a novice, uh, I was good friends with Alison. When I've quoted people that I've known, I've often changed their names, by the way, on this mission, but she wouldn't mind at all my using her name. Alison uh, died of cancer at 43, I think she was, when she died. She was quite a gal, I'm telling you. I mean, extraordinary colourful life. And she came back to the church after her diagnosis. It moved her to want to find out about that thing called faith that she remembered as a child and the meaning and purpose of life, and she found it. And she knew, really, that her illness, terminal and very painful, was a tugging on the thread towards God. And bless her, she showed heroism and she went with a smile towards him, even though it was a difficult journey. And when I took her to Lourdes, 
to ask Our Lady for a miracle, of course, because she was still young. She died before her mother, who also had had cancer and had survived twice, so it was a difficult situation. Alison in Lourdes was able to say a prayer that I will never forget, never. She couldn't say it without crying a lot, but I think she'd want to share it with us this evening because she was able to say at Lourdes, at the feet of Our Lady, thank you, God, for my cancer, because without it, I wouldn't know you. And she knew that. But that takes a lot of guts. It's not easy. Of course we're afraid of suffering. Of course we are. It's difficult. You know, when we make the Stations of the Cross, when whenever we get to the fifth Station of the Cross, where Simon of Cyrene helps Jesus to carry his cross, and it's lovely to have this talk in front of a relic of the true cross, when we get to that fifth station, there's a word in St. Alphonsus's meditations, famous meditations, that always sticks in my mouth, sticks in my throat. It's his meditation, it goes like this. We know, that, by the way, that Simon was constrained to carry Jesus' cross, wasn't he? He was just a follower in the crowd, and I'm not sure he wanted to be anything to do with this, but the Romans dragged him in and made him carry our Lord's cross behind him to help our Lord up the hill to Calvary. St. Alphonsus, when we get to that station, says this. My most sweet Jesus, I will not refuse the cross as Simon of Cyrene did. I accept it, I embrace it. And this is the bit that really stings for me. I accept in particular the death that thou hast destined for me with all the pains that may accompany it. I unite it to thy death. I offer it to thee. Thou hast died for love of me. I will die for love of thee. Only Alphonsus could have written that because it ends with such hope. But what a phrase. I accept all the pains that may accompany my death. I guess we might as well. We might as well anticipate whatever it is. We don't know what it's going to be, but we might as well accept it for what it is, the final tug on the thread, the final union with Christ. And it may involve suffering. Well, fair enough. I've sinned. I deserve it. But actually, there's hope. Because he has been there before. He died for love of me. I will die for love of him. The cross, really, accepting it and embracing it, is our only hope. It is our only hope. There's another story I want to tell you about my godmother. My godmother lost her father when he was very young, well, relatively young. And she was definitely daddy's girl, my godmother. She adored her father and he adored her. And she told me once that when he was dying, he was on his deathbed and they were saying some prayers and all of a sudden, she said to him, Daddy, I wish it was me lying there in all this pain and not you. I wish that I could suffer instead of you. I love you too much to see you in all of this pain. He was a Polish gentleman, extremely devout, a little bit on the severe side, very loving, loved her. But he said, stop it. Don't take away my cross, he said. It's mine. Our Lord's given it to me and it will get me to heaven. Don't wish it away. Well, she was absolutely stunned. She meant what she said kindly. Which of us wouldn't? 
rather suffer in place of someone innocent. All of us would, wouldn't we? But his response was unusual. His response was, no, stop it. Don't wish away my cross. This is my way to heaven. Don't take it away from me. It's a wonderful way to think about it. The cross is our only hope. Hope of what? What's beyond the cross? Well, St. Paul, just a couple of chapters on from that uh, little passage from the Philippians we started with, has this to say, there are some people who are living as enemies of the cross. Brethren, join in imitating me, he says, and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our true home is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power which enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're not enemies of the cross. To be friends of the cross is to hope for the resurrection from the dead, where God will raise our lowly bodies and make them like his glorious body. Death isn't meant to happen. Death is the result of sin. We're body and soul. We're meant to be together. The separation of our soul from our body at death is not the way God initially designed us to be. And he restores it in the resurrection. He went before. He's the first fruits of those risen from the dead. He himself in his resurrection shows what real life in God is meant to be. And you and I believe in the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the dead. That's our hope. That one day in heaven, our bodies and souls will be reunited, made perfect. We can think about it actually with uh, some benefit. We don't really know what it'd be like to have a risen body and be in heaven. But we can look at the resurrection appearances of Jesus in the Gospels and we can see some hints, just some hints of what a glorious body is. His glorious body bears his wounds, but they're not bleeding and he's not suffering from them anymore. It's physical, it's, he's material, he's not just a ghost. They can touch him, Thomas can put his finger into his side and he can eat, he eats with them, cooks them breakfast on one occasion. But he can pass through locked doors and he can go from Jerusalem and a road to Emmaus and up to Galilee and back again with relative ease. The theologians like to call this subtlety. There seems to be something about his body which is different, not bound by the same laws that our bodies are bound by. Anyway, it's fun to think of what our bodies might be like back in heaven. But because of our belief in the resurrection from the dead, we do honour the remains of those that die. When we bury them or cremate them, deal honourably with the bodies of the dead. It's because of our belief in the resurrection from the dead that this matter will one day rise again. That's why we venerate the relics of the saints, bits and pieces of them, which are our family photographs of the church, our souvenirs. You know if you've lost a loved one, you'll keep things that belong to them, or even bits, not bits of them, but you know, things that belong, we're very intimately connected with them. We keep them. We do the same with the saints. 
Because we know that at the resurrection from the dead on the last day, that matter will rise again and be glorified. So yes, there's hope that through the cross comes resurrection. Just as it was for him, so it will be for us. So our approach to death actually should help us to live here and now by believing in heaven. We long for heaven, we long for a perfection that we don't have in this life. We want that joy that will last, so we need to live in order to obtain it. What's at stake? Well, it's all at stake. Our ticket to heaven is our baptism, but we can throw it away or leave it somewhere and forget about it. No, we're going to take that ticket to heaven and really use it, live really well, know, love and serve God in this life so that we might live with him happily forever in the next. His mercy is there for us while we still have time to change and convert, as Abbot Hugh was talking about last night. We don't know how much time we have, so we're prepared each day. We're prepared. And we live in order to get to heaven. We live not in fear of death, but looking forward to what is on the other side of that door, eternal life with God, total union with him. And our living is not just selfish either. We want to go to heaven together. St. Therese of Lisieux said, that a, she said this of priests, a priest may go to heaven or to hell, but he never goes alone. Oh yes. We take people with us, we have an influence on those around us, so we must influence each other for the better and go hand in hand to heaven. Married couples can think of this. Those with families can think of this as principally going with each other to heaven. One of my favourite blesseds is Blessed Charles of Austria, the last emperor of Austria-Hungary. And he was a very saintly man, died a very saintly death. And he had a very good marriage to his queen empress, Zita. She lived until the 1980s. And Zita and Charles, when they got married, they didn't actually expect to be emperors because, of course, Franz Ferdinand was due to inherit, but then, of course, he was assassinated, World War I, and there we go. But when they got married, they were very deeply in love, and both were very, very holy people. And Charles took her hand after they were married and said, Now, Zita, we must help each other get to heaven. Lovely. We go, hopefully, together as a parish family, our own families, our friends, even our work colleagues, even those we know that don't yet know Christ, we hope that they'll all be taken up somehow, saved through Christ and his church somehow, that we might all be there. We're not selfish in our desire to live with Christ. So what must we do? What must we do? Not be afraid, or at least try not to be afraid of things that we don't yet know. Accept the possibilities of a final cross and agony, knowing that Christ is with us on that journey and that it's a tug upon the thread. We also must be prepared for death. We need to say prayers for the dying, to show charity to those who are at that point in their lives. We need to pray for the holy souls that they might get to heaven. They can't help themselves, but they can 
they rely on our prayers to help them and they can help us. We need to live detached from the world, not thinking worldly things, as St Paul says. We need to live like exiles in this world. We say that in the Hail Holy Queen, don't we? After this, our exile, we ask Mary to show us the fruit of her womb, our blessed Lord. In other words, this life is an exile. It's our way back to the real home, our true home in heaven, the promised land of heaven. We pray that when we die, we might have a priest and have the sacraments. We pray that when it counts, at least, we'll be penitent and die in love with God. We pray that we might be at peace with God and with our neighbour. We can also think how faith and hope, and I began with a prayer of hope, faith and hope won't be needed in heaven. We won't need faith in heaven because we will see the realities we believe in. Of course we'll have faith. We won't need the virtue of faith. We'll be there face to face with God. We won't need hope in heaven because hope is what we need now to help us trust in God and those things which are as yet unseen, those things which no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but that God has prepared for those who love him. But when we're there and we're looking at him and we're there and those things that he's prepared for us, you won't need hope. Faith and hope are needed here. But what was the other one? These three remain, faith, hope and love. And in love, in heaven, there will be just love. The greatest of these is love. Because that communion is a communion of love. Love which is the very life of the Trinity. Love that will be taken up into. We need to remember too that the saints are there to help us. That we should pray for the dead, that they might become saints in heaven quickly. I love this analogy, that when somebody dies, we pray that the saints might pull from that end as we push from this end to get them up to heaven. Our masses and our prayers give them a good push up to heaven and we pray that all the saints will pull them in. Yes, the communion of saints works together to bring us all to heaven. It's actually through the cross that that happens. Through the cross, of course, that we're saved. And St. Ignatius of Antioch called the cross a hoist, mechane in Greek, a hoist taking us up to heaven. Isn't that delightful? He prayed that this wonderful cross will be our hoist up to heaven. So yes, we'll be pulled up by the sacrifice of Christ. Without being anxious or morbid, we can prepare each day, in fact, for death, because we live a mini-death every single day, when we go to bed. When we go to bed, we close our eyes and we pray that we might rise again in the morning. Death is a little mini-preparation, sleep rather, is a mini-preparation for death. We can make an act of contrition in our evening prayers, I hope we do. We might say sorry to God, examine our consciences, look over the day, tell God that we love him or want to be with him. And if, by his grace, he gives us life in the morning, that we might make amends, do better, and live to serve and love him another day. That's a good preparation for death, and it happens every day. That can take the sting out of it, and take the fear of it away. Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? St Paul, in another letter, 
His second letter to Timothy has these wonderful words. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. If we have died with him, then we shall live with him. We need to remember that we can do something about our lives here and now. I know this is cheesy. It is a bit cheesy, but I do like it. It's the sort of thing you expect to find on a greeting card. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Now is it when it counts for us, and the other time it will count is at the hour of our death. And that's why we pray in every Hail Mary that she will pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Those are the two moments it really counts. Tomorrow is a mystery. The moment of our death is not known to us, but when it really counts, we pray that we'll be penitent and that God's grace will be there. And if we do, we've nothing to fear. The final thing I want to tell you as a comforting thought is that scene of death amidst the horror of Calvary which gives us hope. Not just the death of Christ, but the death of a thief next to him. What does the thief, the good thief, say? When the bad thief rebukes Jesus, the good thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A good prayer for us to say, to prepare for death. We who too are sinners, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that response of our Lord that should give us every hope. I tell thee today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. These are the words that Archbishop Fulton Sheen said about that event, and I absolutely love these words. The dying thief. A dying man asked a dying man for eternal life. A man without possessions asked a poor man for a kingdom. A thief at the door of death asked to die like a thief and steal paradise. One would have thought a saint would have been the first soul purchased over the counter of Calvary by the red coins of redemption. But in the divine plan, it was a thief who was the escort of the King of Kings into paradise. If our Lord had come merely as a teacher, the thief would never have asked for forgiveness. But since the thief's request touched the very reason of his coming to earth, namely to save souls, the thief heard the immediate answer, I promise thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was the thief's last prayer, perhaps even his first. He knocked once, sought once, asked once, dared everything, and found everything. Tonight, at the foot of the cross, and by the way, we should be grateful to a local Essex girl, St Helen, who went to find the cross. 
I always mention her whenever we preach about the cross, Essex girl done good. We must pray that we might pray the prayer of the dying thief as we die. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and that we too might steal paradise. In a moment, we're going to say a few devotions before the relic of the true cross. And then our final hymn, I'll, I'll introduce what's going to happen after that, but one of the words of our final hymn is, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Let's remember to keep the mystery of the cross and the promise of the cross before our minds, that the Lord might take away the fear of death, that he might comfort us with the promise of eternal life and of the resurrection of the body, a huge hope for us, and that he might continue even through suffering, to pull that thread, dragging us towards himself. We know that we follow sometimes kicking and screaming. Tonight, let's run towards him with great confidence in his mercy. We adore thee, O Christ, and we bless thee, because by thy holy cross thou hast redeemed the world. Would you like to kneel down? If you're in.